Welcome to an Emergency Rare Petro Podcast episode. It's myself, Tavis, and Sai here to update you on what happened over the weekend and what it potentially means. Stick with us. Ladies and gentlemen, what the hell happened last weekend in oil and gas? We're, we're here to find out with you, Tavis. Let's check in. Oh, man. It's, it's been a tough one. You know, yeah. we come at you with uh, monthly recaps usually. This one has just been too important to gloss over. I would even say historical. Yeah, you know, kind of, kind of one of the big mind fucks that kind of gets you, uh, gets you settled back into your world and makes you want to think as to, uh, what the fuck is going on? What am I gonna do in a couple yeah. of months? <laughs> All yeah. right, so to set the stage real quick, Sai's gonna delve much more in depth later. But last week, OPEC and OPEC Plus they met to acknowledge the decrease in the oil demand created by the coronavirus. This way, they could come to an agreement on how much to limit production. That way, it might bump up the price just a bit so it would be more economic for all players to produce. Uh, Saudi said, the goal is to cut production by 1.5 million barrels a day, and then they pointed at Russia. They said, you're responsible for a third of that. Russia, of course, two middle fingers up, left the meeting, said, we're not doing that. And then Saudi is upping their production now to fight that, but instead of targeting the U.S., we just got stuck in the crossfire between a pissing contest between Russia and Saudi Arabia. And that's exactly what it is, right? This is one of the last few times that we saw this happen too, right? Where With OPEC trying to demand a, a, a production cut, they're, they're trying to figure out, get a new equilibrium between the supply and demand curves. Yet you, you're not seeing that happening this time. And it didn't happen the last time either. But the difference in the last time was the United States was essentially on on, you know, on, on the Saudi side by letting them... By letting them up their production so that would hurt the dollar and bring down the russian exporting at that point but the goal this time around was to not let that happen because at this time in history we are a net exporter in crude and in gas and the barrel at this price along with the decisions that the saudis and the ruskies made they don't help us out at all and we're not we're not big fans i gotta be quite honest with you i'm, I'm a little teed off you know it's, it's not fun it's not fun being in this environment it's not fun having to deal with this and it's, you know, it's just going to be sitting there, you know, watching, see who comes out on top and who falls apart. But it might be some time until someone comes out on top because uh, audience, as we record this, it is the 11th, two days after the one of the biggest drops in about three decades. This and- is, yeah, this is this drop itself. The single day price drop in the barrel of oil has been the equivalent of what happened back in 1991. And this is this this has been worse than what happened back in 1991. And back in 08. And those two times, 1991, Tavis, it went to war. 08, we, we had a financial crisis. So the fuck can we expect this time around? We don't know that. I'm not sure. But yeah. today, the Saudis, uh, Saudi Arabian Council said that they will up their production. It was 12.3 as of yesterday. Now they're upping it to 13 million barrels a day, which is about a whole million barrels above what they can operate at without cannibalizing themselves. And Russia said, we don't care. We know that we can live for six to ten years at pricing from twenty-five to thirty dollars a barrel at the cost of their own people. It's going to cost them, but this is not looking like it's coming down anytime soon. You know, we had, um, you know, we've, we've been talking about Anthony. You know how uh, he's going to be. He's, we're going to be conferring with him on this podcast too. And this is something that Anthony brought up to us: is that although Russia says that they can easily do the sub twenty, you know, thirty dollar prices, but do they want to? That's the main question is we can all survive, right? We can all survive, right? I could sit here and fucking drink green tea all day, but I'd rather have my cup of coffee in the morning 
Oh, mm-hmm. I can do I can do tea. I just got to drink a shit ton more of it. Yeah, Putin's going to be okay, and that's why they'll get through it. But his people could suffer, and it's going to be to what extent will they suffer before an agreement is reached? Yeah, you know, Vladimir, you know, whatever he's going by these days, you know, these guy, this guy has been out here, you know, single handedly, just been just can just been kind of handing it to the United States. But this decision itself, this impacts us significantly. What we're looking at today, right? We're if you look closely at how the United States, you know, market kind of operates, um, you know, specific to the oil and gas industry, what you're looking at is a lot of small operators, you know, backed by, you know, backed by companies, backed by firms that are giving them the capital to go out there and do these operations. If you notice as to how these operations work, you will realize one big thing, that there's a lot of debt coming up that is due in about 2022. What we're looking at at this commodity price, at the way these interactions are happening, in oil and gas and the overall market drop and everything that's been changing, the United States is not going to be able to stand this. You have a lot of companies that are invested. They have great land. They have great procedures. They've got great setups, but they won't be able to do much because their debt is coming up. It's coming up due in 2022. And you're sitting here, you know, just twiddling your thumbs, waiting for the barrel to go back up, or you're waiting for the Saudis and Ruskies to sit back in one room and actually sit there and have a, have, have, a, have a useful conversation and actually talk about something that will be beneficial to every single party involved, but that's not going to happen. What you, what you will see is you're going to see small operators just absolutely getting destroyed. You know, we're talking about, as of right now, there is approximately five companies that are invested in shale that can actually last. Yeah. And a few of them will surprise you, but obviously the the majority of the five consists of the big five, right? You've got your Chevron guys, you've got your Exxon guys, you know, you've got Occidental, you've got Cronquest out in Texas is surprisingly viable through this whole commotion. Um, you know, you run a cookie, cookie cookie cutter operation, you know, you're you can you can outlast one of these things, but it's you got five shale drillers out of every single person involved. Now those are a lot of companies that are not on that same list as those five. We're looking at a tremendous change coming. We're looking at significant changes in our industry and the way we move on forward about operations, about the actual oil and gas interactions in between in between equity firms, in between operators, in between service companies. You're going to see a lot of changes coming this way. I hope those changes aren't for the long term because in the short term, I can see companies are going to stop completing. They're going to stop drilling. Even if you've got Hedged portfolios, it doesn't make sense to produce the rest of that percentage unhedged and just sell at such, just hemorrhage money. So I think there's going to be a lot of downtime for oil and gas now, but I hope in the future it doesn't have such repercussions that change the way we produce. So uh, it's it's tough, man. It's tough it, to find no, that balance. It, it 100% is. And see, I don't I don't really know how safe operators are with the with with hedges, you know, or even with even with ducks in their inventories, right? I'm not seeing as to how those guys can come up on top. With a sub $30 barrel? You can't produce you, and come out yeah, on top. You fucking need $25 to break break even on even you know, even the even the best of, you know, your your the ducks that you have or e- even in the scenario of let's say you've got a bunch of your you've got a bunch of your oil that's already hedged, right? You're looking forward to that $55, $60 barrel, but if the do- dollar itself is going down, you're sitting here watching the market collapse. That hedging's not going to help you at that point in time. You genuinely need the interaction and the talks in between these two countries to to move forward in a good direction so that it can become useful for our economy. And I mean, fuck their economy, but hopefully their economy too. 
but the main thing you're looking at and see what what throws me off is as to how Russia is involved in and single-handedly just destroying the United States shale producers and our production altogether. And all of this comes on the heels of what what was the last last week or you know I mean uh, last month that we discussed this that the United States was actively working towards um, putting sanctions up against a company that was helping build mm-hmm. that pipeline down in the Baltic Sea. Now this pipeline is currently sitting in Denmark's waters, about ninety four percent complete, and it's sitting there. No one's touching it yet because the company that's involved is waiting it out because they have current sanctions that that have been put up against them by the United States government. Now. Russia's sitting here, sitting by, you know, obviously they're doing a lot of shit behind the walls, you know, in the, in the back rooms. But as far as the world sees it, they're sitting there idly by as as a member of the OPEC, right? They're li- they're controlling their actual demand. They're controlling their supply that they're putting into the economy. They're, they're playing by the rules. They're doing everything they possibly can because the Saudis convinced them to because their goal was to have a lot of Saudi money invested in their country. What they see is nothing being put into it. They see nothing by the new prince down in Saudi has indicated that he's going to be investing a lot more and more funds into the economy of the of the Russian government or the or the country of Russia. That combined with the fact that the United States is acting on two different fronts to stop their you know the, the their oil production itself and their actual and the you know equivalent impact of that to their economy. Russians aren't happy. They they've sat by. They've seen U.S. independent shale producers make you know, dollars off of the cents that they're earning and they've played by, you know, they've hoped for one thing, either Saudi investment into their, into their land, into their economy, or, you know, other operations for the oil and gas industry to survive. And that's why I think that this is actually Russia's objective to damage the U S I know it's may not be a totally it, popular. It sure opinion. is, dude. It, it, that's what it falls back to every time. Yeah. Because the U S in comparison to Russia has had it so easy. We've been able to produce as much as we wanted. We became a petroleum exporting country. We keep producing gas. We keep producing oil. Numbers going up. While Russia, being an ally of OPEC, not a member but an ally, has to trickle out kind of whatever it's agreed to to kind of be a part of that cartel and work on the basket pricing. Yeah. But see, my, my issue comes into play is with everything else that's on the line, right? We could, we could sit here and play this little war that we're trying to trying to pan out for, for, for oil. But do you understand the, the impact that this is happening on overall, like the all across the board, all across the markets that we're looking at. The Dow, this is based off of what, Monday itself? This is what, two days ago? So the ninth. The Dow was on track to be to have its largest drop on a single day since 08. And that was, that was when I checked these facts, they were still on par to be down, I think, 1,900 points, or that's, yeah, 7.4%. The S&P 500 is down 7.2%, and the NASDAQ has fallen by 6.6%. And this is... This is literally the worst day since 1987 in terms of the market collapse. Yeah, but it did bounce back at the end, thankfully, and it seems like we're holding out, but I am skeptical in terms of the market and oil pricing. I think we're going to see a few more falls. Nothing crazy. Yeah. Maybe not sub-20, but 30s are going to be hurting. 30s yeah. are going to be hurting. And see, this this is more of a problem for the oil and gas industries because you know we're seeing, we're seeing, we're seeing an attack by different fronts. What we're seeing at one point is falling prices, right? The cost itself, the commodity price that we're currently trading at is not worth what we're putting in. The next thing we've got, the issues that we've got coming about us is the investors that are wholeheartedly invested in fossil fuels that that were backing these projects are moving away. 
based off of what you see in the media and then based off what you're seeing, you know, within, you know, within the public opinion and within the public eye, you know, nobody sees the, the, the importance in fossil fuels or as to how that they are, that they are critical and they, they are, they are needed, absolutely needed for the transition as renewables. Now that's another attack that we're looking at. One of the others, one of the last ones is that the, the, the debt that these companies have is taken over. So you've got, you've got, absolute low commodity pricing the next up is your investors aren't relying into your business model anymore they don't believe in you anymore and the last thing is your debt is about to be due these three combine you know i'm a, i'm it's just a, a perfect student. storm exactly. it's too coincidental you know, for russia to take this stance with all of those things existing. exactly and i might just be a student you know not a big analyst guy here or whatever but i can tell you looking at these things written down on paper and kind of looking at them looking at them in a big picture this tells me one thing we are looking at a fucking change coming our way, a strong and a and a significant change. And you're right. Uh, we might just be students, but let's ask someone with a little bit more experience. You know, the CEO of Rare Petro himself, Anthony McDaniel's. I'll come right back with that interview. So Sai and I thought you might want to hear from somebody with a little bit more experience than ourselves. So we've got big man upstairs at Rare Petro, Anthony McDaniels here. Got a couple of questions for him to speak on what we've discussed so far. Hey, Tavis. It's going well. Nice to contribute a little bit more than just uh, (laughs) Just dictating. (laughs) All righty. Well, so the first question, is the U.S. caught in the crossfire or is this a good secondary objective for Russia to pursue? with the shale markets being almost uneconomic to produce. I think five people can produce at this pricing point. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty, I think the word historic is not overdone on this. I mean, everything you can look at from percentage drop in crude prices and how quickly they happen to the um, public oil sector companies. I mean, it's just totally taken everybody down. I mean, this is not news to anybody. But even in the lens of history, I mean, the last time that there was kind of this big, hey, let's, you know, put a bunch of extra oil on the market from Saudi, I think it was 1986, um, which predates my working in the industry. But uh, in talking to people who did, I mean, that, that was a, that was a, obviously kicked off close to a two decade downturn, really. I mean, I guess a decade and a half. Um, you know, uh, it's just, I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, but what part is arguably unprecedented is that they are so close to saying, let's take more oil off the market to, uh, you know what, we're not taking any more off. In fact, we're just going to put much more on the market. Um, what makes this one probably a little bit more drastic is that there's already a lot of issues with um, economic demand globally. Uh, I heard on CNBC this morning that the port of Los Angeles is down 75% from what it usually does for volume this time of year. Um, that's just one indicator. Uh, you hear, you know, restaurateur tycoons like Tillman Fertitta talking about they reopened a store in China a couple weeks ago and uh, he saw something he hadn't seen in almost 40 years of restaurants, uh, $0 of sales when they reopen. So even though China's coming back, it's not exactly one of those, okay, everybody's back to work tomorrow kind of thing. Um, you see airline airlines are getting pummeled because people aren't traveling. Um, 
Italy is on a sovereign lockdown. Flights in and out of the country are more or less banned. Um, you know, you've got flight cancellations in the U.S. all over the place. Of course, there's been a lot of flight cancellations in and out of Asia for a while, and that they probably will continue to some degree. And so as a result of that, Daniel Jurgen, I think they estimate global demand would be down 4 million barrels a day in Q1. And so you took a market that was already oversupplied by 2 to 4 million barrels a day, if not more, and then you have a reduction of demand by another 4 million barrels a day and compound that with the reality that uh, Russia and Saudi say, oh, we're just going to put as much oil in the market as we can. I mean, this is a you know, most oil companies can't produce a profitably at this oil price. And um, in in a quote-unquote normal world, a uh, $30 WTI could arguably be the floor uh, for oil prices. But given the dynamics of a very noticeable global drop in demand um, mixed with a simultaneous timing of increasing the supply um, has, I mean, who knows? I mean, there are some people that think oil could get under 20 I happen but uh we pretty much are in a lot of ways in uncharted territory because like i I said when i started to answer the question uh we have not had big oil producers want to try and flood the market simultaneous with a very noticeable drop in global demand and that two things put together i mean that is a one-two punch and um yeah I, i think saudi and russia are looking for market share and um, we are caught in the crosshairs. I mean, if, if you were, you know, since you're asking me, I think in regards to Russia and Putin, um, it is his aim to destroy the U.S. oil patch. Uh, I think in regards to Saudi, it's more of a, we want Russia to play ball with us. And if the United States is a casualty of this oil war, then oh well. So what are some of the factors that will influence the length of this phase that's influenced by the price war? Russia claims, Moscow released a statement, that they have the resources to cover a 25 to $30 barrel pricing for 6 to 10 years. So when people read articles about what, you know, what Saudi could survive on oil prices uh, or what Russia could tolerate, you know, obviously both of these countries, a very large percentage of their GDP is uh, a large percentage of their income at the national level is oil revenue. And so they say, well, we can survive this, we can survive that. Uh, Yes, you know, I'd ask a person who lives in Denver, Colorado, could you survive on a $1,000 a month income? And the answer is probably yes, but I don't really want to. Um, So what they can survive at is going to be, it's not a hard technical number, right? Um, If they have a lot less oil revenues than a lot of public welfare programs get put on hold or entirely scrapped altogether. Um, You have two countries here. I mean, Saudi is a monarchy. Uh, Russia calls itself a democracy, but it is a dictatorship. I mean, uh, uh, the, I heard on the news that uh, recently the, the Russian delegation passed through quote unquote sweeping legislation to allow Vladimir Putin to, to be in his position another 12 years, I think, after 2024. I mean, the guy the guy is pretty much a dictator in all but title. And so when you have um, centrally controlled heads of state that have kind of hold all the power in their hands, um, you can see these countries do some very drastic things. You can see them. They, don't, they will starve their people. They will cut programs, welfare, social nets, all kinds of things just to get their way, 
Uh, you can see this in every single dictatorial regime in modern and in, in, in modern times and in history. Uh, so, I mean, to think that uh, Russia is going to uh, be forced into taking oil off the market, I no, I don't think so. I mean, they're going to have to be kind of sweet-talked into it. There's going to have to be, to them, a reason, or more pointedly, Putin, a reason for them to play the the global oil game with the other players. Other than that, they'll just put the oil on the market. Saudi, didn't they just today announce that they were going to try and produce 13 million barrels yeah, a day? 13. You know, these guys are going to, it's basically a couple of people uh, in a pissing match, if you ask me, in all honesty, and, and they, they want to see somebody else back down. Um, you know, they could survive this quite a long time. In the, in the U.S. sector, you know, everybody has assumed that we aren't viable compared to these other oil countries. I, I, would, I would counter that with we, we have innovative spirit in this country and we have free market enterprise. We don't have dictatorships. We don't have one person trying to prove they're right and everybody else is wrong. I mean, regardless of what somebody might think of the presidential administration, the reality is that we have a very balanced political system here um, on the par and not one person could just make everything they want to have happen happen. You know, it takes other players, other stakeholders. Um, there's a lot of things that this country can do administratively, politically, and they're talking about doing it to um, make us more competitive. Uh, you know, you could tariff potentially incoming oil shipments. I mean, we are a net exporter now at 4 million barrels a day or something. Uh, you know, this is a big deal. We don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that. And then every time there's a disruption in the Middle East, have to send troops back like we did in, you know, for 20 years before we finally proved that we can produce the oil. I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing that's happened in the shale patch in, when in, in regards to costs uh, in the last, you know, five years is that the cost to drill and the cost to produce have come down. They will continue to come down now. Drilling wells... That's going to slow significantly. Producing wells that f that fail, they're going to be shut in. I, I heard that there was something like, I think, 40% of wells in Texas are estimated to be losing money every day that are online um, at these oil prices. So um, there will be some natural rebalancing. But, I mean, the last time there was a price, uh, a miniature price war that when it started in summer of 2014, and Saudi tried to, to bankrupt the U.S. shale players i mean the, the they start this in the summer of 14 and you can go look at the eia data uh the u.s oil production continued to go up for 12 months you know so i mean if you look at u.s oil production as a country from the summer of 14 to the summer of 15 it went up by a million barrels a day and and then it took another year for the u.s oil production to go back down a million barrels and so if you put that in perspective and you say well Okay, this thing, you know, this is deeper, yes. It's more shocking, yes. It might have more of a quick impact, yes. But uh, we have a lot of people that, you know, they have hedged oil prices at these oil companies. Not every oil company is going to lose money tomorrow. Um, you have a lot of situations where you have better pipeline and takeaway capacity than you did last time. And uh, you have wells that are longer laterals that are probably on the par potentially going to hang in a little bit better. Um, they still have rapid declines, but compared to the wells from five years ago, 
they are bigger and they hang in a little better on on average if you look basin to basin. Um, there's a lot of people that anticipate, you know, USO production is going to drop, you know, three, four million barrels a day in the next, you know, they think maybe, okay, this will happen in the next, you know, before the end of the year. I, I don't think it's, that's not practical. I mean, you have people that have drilling contracts, they're going to drill those wells and they're going to go be let go. You have people that are still fracking um, because of the budgets they entered the year with. You have wells that are going to get brought on softer because, well, you know, let's not sell all our barrels at $30, uh, but we, we got to get them on. You got to keep the lights on. You got to keep revenues coming in. Even if you are in a bad debt position, you have to try and keep operating. So when you throw all this together, I mean, look, we could be looking at the end of the year and the U.S. production might still be over 12 and a half million barrels a day when you put all this stuff together. And so, so there, we got, we got Russia is going to try and prove their point. Um, they're not going to back down because of threats. Uh, you know, the, the other, the other dynamic to understand between Russia, Saudi and the U S is, is that the Russian ruble floats and they have been trading with Asia oil and the yuan contracts, which circumvents the U S dollar. The Saudi, Real, it is tied to the U.S. dollar. So there's another dynamic there as well. If Saudi wants to reduce their revenue, they can't just turn around and print money to do that because they're going to have to go into the currency markets and they're going to have to exchange for dollars. So it's going to be a lot harder probably. This is probably would be my guess, and it's just a guess. But if you look at the U.S., Russia, and Saudi, I think the argument could be made that Saudi is going to be the one that hurts the most out of this uh, because they are not going to be able to just, you know, reduce their revenues, meet their obligations, print money to cover it up. Uh, Russia can do that. Um, you've got the U.S. is going to probably take some political standpoints to help support the shale industry. Um, I don't think it's going to bail out everybody, but uh, if history is any guide, you can probably imagine the largest companies, um, you know, you know uh, the largest shale players, you know, you could list companies like EOG, uh, Pioneer, um, probably Continental, maybe. Uh, these guys are probably going to be on the docket if there is some sort of legislation to keep the shale players from going bankrupt, you know, if there's some legislation passed or, you know, the Federal Reserve opens up asset repurchases to include corporate bonds of, um, you know, the big heavily, you know, the big shale players. These kinds of things are also going to, you add this possibility in with the reality of hedged oil prices um, on all these other things, you know, I, I, this isn't the end of the U.S. oil industry, but it could be a protracted downturn. I mean, we could be looking at a couple of years. But I, I don't see the United States oil production rapidly declining, uh, depending on what legislations are taken into place or if Russia and Saudi want to agree. Um, this can very well drop the U.S. out of energy independence. It could drop us out of being a net exporter. It could, um, it could get our production back south of 10 million barrels a day. All these things could happen, but they'll probably take two to three years to play out. Well, thank you very much for your perspective. Uh, I think that about wraps up this episode. We'll catch you on the next month's recap.